Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you. We have several visitors with us and uh, some dear friends, and we're delighted uh, that you're with us and want you to feel right at home uh, so much that you'll be with us at the very next opportunity that, that you have. Many of you have asked about my mom, and I failed to send out uh, an email update. It's been a whirlwind since Friday. Uh, we took her by ambulance to uh, an emergency room. She was still in a lot of pain. This is all stemming from her fall July the 11th. And CT scans revealed what x-rays did not, that she has three fractures. And uh, she's going to have to have surgery tomorrow morning. She's at uh, USA Hospital. And uh, my sister is there with her now. And so please pray for my mom, Sarah Sargent, and, and uh, all, the, all the family. But thank you for your outpouring of love and concerns. And thank you especially uh, for your prayers for her. And remember all those on our, on our prayer list. Let's pray fervently for each, each and every one. I want to talk about with you something that affects each and every person. It's a common malady. It's something we deal with. It's uh, the root of a lot of our problems in, in our lives. Benjamin Franklin said it like this. There is perhaps none of our natural pas passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it's still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I would probably be proud of my humility. A lot of wisdom there, isn't it? But pride is something, well, selfishness and pride are at the root of all sin. So pride is one of those things that we constantly have to seek to subdue. But part of the problem is with pride is that it's easy to see in other people, but hard to see in ourselves. C.S. Lewis had these wise words about this topic. There's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. Pride. Pride leads to every other vice. Notice the statement. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. I think with that statement we realize the severity of this issue of pride. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Here is one of many texts in the scriptures that deal with this issue. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Some have wondered if when Peter wrote these words by inspiration, when he said, clothe yourselves with humility, if he had in the back of his mind, not only guided by the Spirit, but also have in the back of his mind, when Jesus girded himself with a towel and with all humility uh, washed the disciples' feet. So clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. But notice this statement quoting from Proverbs 3. God opposes the proud. Or God resists the proud. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, 
who can be against us. But change that around a bit, and let me pose this question. If God is against us, if God is opposed to us, who can help us? And the answer is, is no one. So Peter says, quoting Proverbs, God opposes the proud. And so we don't want anything to do with this pride. We want to defeat it, over, overcome it. But how is that possible? Let's define it first of all. And I found a few definitions beginning with Merriam-Webster. Pride is exaggerated self-esteem or conceit. It's an attitude of superiority that can manifest itself in arrogance and boasting. Some may remember the great boxer Muhammad Ali. At the height of his, uh, when he was a champion in, in boxing, he boarded a plane one time and the plane was about to take off and the flight attendant came by and noticed that he didn't have his seatbelt on and she said, sir, would you mind putting on your seatbelt? His response was, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she looked at him right in the eyes and she responded, and Superman doesn't need an airplane. <laughs> Pride can manifest itself in, in many ways, a sense of superiority, and sometimes we get humbled when we have that attitude. Here's another definition. Pride is an attitude that focuses undue attention on self. And I think, folks, this is the root of it. Pride focuses undue attention on self. You see, pride causes us to have this motto, it's all about me. It's all about me. The flight schedule, the traffic, uh, the weather, the work, everything is filtered through the many me in our own eyes. Pride causes us to see no one really except ourselves. A third definition, pride is esteeming oneself above other people. Jesus told a parable. We'll come back to this in a moment. He told a parable, a story, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on others. And there's two components right there. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were self-righteous and that they looked down on, other, on, on, on others. Those are the two components of this pride, esteeming oneself above other people. How do we know if we are struggling with pride? Here are some symptoms of pride. Number one is irritation. Irritation. Irritation when, when perhaps someone, even in love, tries to correct us. We get, we get irritated at that. Boasting is another, like Superman don't need no seatbelt. Uh, boasting about our accomplishments. Defensiveness, perhaps manifested in a refusal to admit mistakes. It's always somebody else's fault. And it's difficult for a proud person to say, I was wrong or I am sorry. Stubbornness. Stubbornness, refusal to accept counsel and to learn from other people. Stubbornness, insisting it's got to be done my way. Anger is another manifestation, a symptom of pride, especially when we don't get our own way. 
we get angry. And that's pride manifesting itself. Being critical of others or finding fault. The act of bringing others down, especially to lift ourselves up, that's, that's pride at work. I love this statement that I read, that one of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder brother. If you remember the elder brother and Jesus' beautiful story in Luke 15, when the prodigal son returned home in all humility, the elder brother in pride was critical of his younger brother and even critical of the way that his father had received him home. It's hard to stop being the prodigal without turning into the elder brother. Comparison is often a, a manifestation of pride. We compare ourselves to others, especially those with whom we think we're superior. That's the one we tend to compare ourselves to. I'm reminded of the story about three dogs. Uh, two purebred dogs were walking daintily along with their noses in the air. And along came their way a big alley dog of the Heinz 57 variety. And embarrassed at being in the company of a no-account dog, one of the purebred, uh, purebred dogs said, We must go. My name is Midgey, spelled M-I-J-I. The other purebred responded, yes, we must go. My name is Mickey, spelled M-I-K-I. Well, this low-class alley dog then put his nose up in the air and he said, well, my name is Fido, spelled P-H-Y-D-E-A-U-X. <laughs> I've never seen that spelling of Fido before. But that's, that's a response to pride, isn't it? We get inflated with our own self-importance and we look down on on others again Jesus parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector speaks to this you have the Pharisee praying thus with himself as Jesus says and basically telling God of how lucky God is to have him but looking down his nose at this tax collector who is also praying but he won't even lift up his eyes to heaven and his prayer is short and to the point. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says it was that humble tax collector that went away justified because the Pharisee was infected with pride. Another manifestation of pride is greed. It doesn't have to do so much with monetary greed as with the greed of of popularity perhaps but this manifestation of greed this pride doesn't just want more it wants more than anybody else or someone else is receiving recognition that we feel we should that jealousy is an indicator of pride impatience impatience with people and circumstances impatience when having to listen, to wait, to, to, to be led by someone else. That's quite a list. And if you're like me, it's all too painfully familiar. But it's a reminder that each of us, this is an enemy that we have to, to battle. It's an enemy 
that will destroy us. Notice some perils of pride. Number one, pride defies God. Pride defies God. I like one definition I read years ago that pride is edging God out. Using the three letters of ego, pride is edging God out. That's why C.S. Lewis described it as pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride can cause us to remove God from the throne of our hearts and put self in in his place where only God is the rightful occupant of of that throne. But pride puts ourselves in that throne and excludes God and thus builds a wall between us and God. And it's that wall that must come crumbling down through our humility because the first step in being reconciled to God is to humble ourselves uh, before Him. C.S. Lewis wrote this, A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see someone who is above you. Pride Uh, defies God. Pride divides people. It divides people. It breaks down relationships. Where there is strife, there is pride, Proverbs 13, verse 10. But wisdom is found in those who, who take advice. Where there is strife, there is pride. Or pride breeds quarrels. Pride breeds division in our relationships. Perhaps you've heard this statement before. Pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. Because we don't like to see pride in other people. It's repulsive. And it's hard to see in ourselves. In the summer of 1986, I read that there were two ships that collided on the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. As this uh, collision was investigated, by the way, hundreds of passengers died as a result. When it was investigated, it was determined that the root cause of this collision was pride. Neither captain of those two ships wanted to change their course until it was way too late and they collided. That's what pride can do. It leads to collisions in our relationships and severs them. Number three, pride delivers dishonor. Pride delivers dishonor. Listen to Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. How many times has pride led us to foolish decisions? How many times have we looked back in our lives and say, if I had not been so proud, things would have worked so much better for me. Before destruction, Proverbs 18, 12 says, the heart of a person is haughty, but humility goes before honor. And fourthly, pride destroys souls. It's the road to ruin Pride goes before destruction. One of the most popular verses on pride in our scriptures, I'm sure. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit 
before a fall. There was a frog who wanted to go down to Florida, but knew that he couldn't make it by himself. So he talked two geese into helping him. He convinced the geese, each geese, to hold one end of a rope. And so the frog clamped on to the middle of that rope as the geese flew south to Florida. And everything was going very well. And the frog was looking forward to spending some time in Florida, beautiful Florida. When someone from the ground saw what was happening and said, what a brilliant idea. Who thought of that? And the frog opened his mouth and said, I did. And he croaked. Pride goes before a fall. It may be illustrated in silly ways, but it is the painful truth. What's the antidote for pride? Let's go back to our text, 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Step number one, and both of these are found in this text. Step number one is to humble ourselves before God. To put God on the throne as he's the only proper occupant on the throne of our hearts. And to place God on the throne means that we humble ourselves and we submit our lives to him. But this text also speaks to something else we must do. That first part of verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward whom? Toward one another. Humble yourself before God, but we must humble ourselves before one another as well. Paul said it like this, do nothing from selfish ambition. The text that Blaine read for us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility toward others. Counting others more important than yourself. Not being selfish and looking only to our own interests but also to the interests of others I love I've quoted C.S. Lewis I think the third time now true humility is not thinking less of ourselves but thinking of ourselves less that's the antidote to pride it's humility let me close by telling you something that I read about Marian Anderson Marian Anderson, a contralto, a classical singer, uh, one of the best in, in her day. She uh, deserved worldwide, worldwide acclaim as a concert soloist. But the, I've read that Marian Anderson, throughout her life and her career, her splendid career, she remained the same gracious, approachable person. She was characterized by humility. 
A reporter once interviewed Miss Anderson and asked her to, to name the greatest moment in her life. And there are many great moments that she could have listed, such as the night that Arturo Toscanini announced that a voice like hers comes but once a century. Once a century. Or on the night in 1955 when she was the first African-American to sing with the Metropolitan Opera in New York City. Or in 1956 when her autobiography entitled My Lord, What a Morning was, was published and became a bestseller. There was the night that she gave a private concert at the White House to the Roosevelts and to the King and Queen of England. In 1963, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So what was the greatest moment in your life? Here was another, and here's a picture of it, from 1939, when she sang standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial to a crowd of about 75,000 people comprised of many members of our federal government. So which of these moments did she choose? None of them. She said the greatest moment of her life was the day she, that she went home and told her mother that her mother wouldn't have to take in washing anymore. That's the way her mother had tried to earn a living by taking in washing, washing clothes, to put bread on the table, to provide shelter for her family. The greatest moment in Marian Anderson's life to her was when she told her mother she wouldn't have to do that anymore. But I want you to see that by her response, she didn't list one of these recognizable accomplishments in her own singing career, but how it benefited somebody that she loved. That is humility. That is the absence of pride. To rid ourselves of pride and humble ourselves before God, to have less of me in 23 and in every year that the Lord gives us, Here's the greatest place to look. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Because when we, when we consider the cross of Jesus, what we see is the greatest person Whoever walked on the face of this earth, the sinless Son of God, went to the cross and died for sins, not his own, but for ours. For ours. That pours contempt on all of our pride because that is how much he loved us and he wants to save us. It's a constant struggle that we have. But again, this is where pride 
is defeated. When we recognize just how much God loves us, how much Jesus loves us, and died for our sins, even the sin of pride, so that we can be saved and live eternally with Him. That's a God worth surrendering to, isn't it? That's a God worth humbling ourselves before. And that's a God that requires that in order to be saved by Jesus, we must humble ourselves and He will exalt us. It takes humility to acknowledge, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner filled with pride. But I desperately need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from that. It takes courage. It takes humility to respond to the invitation of Jesus to to make that good confession that we're sinners, but that Jesus is the sinless Son of God and He's the Savior of the world. And that we're turning our lives over to Him. We're turning from sin and turning to, to follow Him as a way of life in repentance. And we humble ourselves to be baptized into Christ so that His blood can wash away our sins. And again, baptism isn't a work of merit. It's a work of submission. It's an act of submission. We allow ourselves to be baptized. We submit to that in order to receive that cleansing blood that that God promised when we obey Him in that way. Are you ready to humble yourself and take those initial steps of faith this morning in response to what Jesus has done? But not only are we to humble ourselves before God, we're to humble ourselves before one another. And that takes humility. We have to swallow our pride. And if you need the prayers of the church as, as a Christian who has struggled in these areas and, and, and needs forgiveness and needs strength from God, we as your church family would love to pray with you and for you as we all, always look to ourselves and asking God to help us in those same ways. But if you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.